I've always been a fan of searching after truth. And I thought that the truth of things was systematized in theology so that A plus B equals C. On some level, I allowed myself to agree with the assumptions that were necessary to come to those conclusions. And yet, in being a mouthpiece for those conclusions, I didn't have real life change. And the one truth that changed it was that I knew I couldn't earn God's love. I couldn't do anything to actually justify myself before him, whether I believed in him or not, didn't change this one unchangeable truth that I was loved by God. And actually having that from the inside out changed it all. Now I could argue with you all day about the logic of things. Before I used to thrive off those conversations. That's where my identity was. Not anymore. My identity is that I'm loved and I live at peace with other people and with myself. Jonathan, jo jo Jonathan Leonardo. Great to have you on Knowing and Believing today. <laughs> Great to be here on Knowing and Believing today with our fancy seltzer water. Ew! That's this pretty nice seltzer water you got there. I like how you treat your guests. Oh, my. Only the finest treatment for our guests. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you about belief and materialism and religion and all of that because it's really nice to be able to run ideas past someone that I know and trust and be able to push back against my own ideas. That's a valuable thing. That's good. I hear it. This is my <laughs> friend. I love him. I've known him for a long time. Man, but he annoys me with his brain. <laughs> kind of, but it, I think it's such an intriguing thing to be able <laughs> to have a discussion where you can be put in your place, corrected, and see something new. Yeah, that's good. You know, uh -huh. so I like that. Yeah. Hmm. To me, it's very interesting to talk to you now because, I mean, the last time we talked like this on camera, you were in a somewhat different place. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was way more religious. Way more religious? Yeah. How's that whole transition look? Because from what, what our common background of Adventism, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't call me Adventist anymore by any stretch, but I'm definitely trying to find a way to believe uh, and uh, a way to process and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, and I've stepped away from Adventism and I've seen since the last time we spoke to now, you've transformed and grown, but I don't really, we haven't really talked about it much. Yeah. And it's, it would be interesting for the first kind of question here to just see how do you see yourself having changed over the last, I don't know, probably five or six years since we had that conversation. Yeah, so for me, it ends up being a thing where I used to be really confident in theology and rather certain about the system that I was a part of, that I emerged within from a little kid all the way up to an adult. And through theology, and theology, I mean like the academic study of God, particularly within a Christian um the Christian framework within an Adventist lens and tradition that I 
came to certain conclusions about the world, about humanity, about God, and about the way everything functioned that was really precise in a lot of ways, and yet it wasn't actually accomplishing what it promised, and that was a changed life. Interesting. Talk to me about that a bit. What do you mean, like, what you just verbalized to me is something that, like, I hear that and I'm like, oh, that's what I felt, but I can't elaborate it on it as much. What do you, like, you felt that you were seeking a... Uh, a more rigid form of religiosity or you were at least in that and you felt that were you able to subscribe to that more understand it more that it would create a transformation in you yeah well I I, for me it was that it was I've always been a fan of searching after truth and I thought that the truth of things was systematized in theology so that Mm. a plus b equals c right you put this plus this and you come out with that and whatever that is is irrefutable because you put one plus two so it must equal three and whether my life agrees with it or it doesn't it's true on the plainness of it so that theology then becomes at least the theology i was doing adventist theology It makes sense because, listen, we got the numbers down when we do the prophetic decoding. We got the identity of the beast down when we do this sort of biblical work. We Mm -hmm. know exactly what happens to somebody after they die. We know that they're going to go here and not there. And we know this so precisely because we've decoded the book, right? And so to some degree, I was committed to that because on some level, I allowed myself to agree with the assumptions that were necessary to come to those conclusions. And so I just became a mouthpiece for those conclusions. And yet, in being a mouthpiece for those conclusions, I didn't have real life change. What did I mean? You know me from <laughs> forever. What's my Achilles heel? I know heel? embarrassing stories yeah. of you, what's like my you Achilles- know of me. Yeah, but what's my Achilles heel? Uh, I would say pride mostly because you feel that you've thought everything out, but it's only been life experience that put you in your place and changed your mind. Yeah, so pride and then what was going to be the downfall of me externally? Ladies. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The ladies. And I was there, man. I'm preaching all over the world. I'm in Australia. I'm in New Zealand. I'm in America. And... I won't do ministry in certain cities because I have girlfriends in those cities and I'm smart enough not to... Ex-girlfriends. Yeah, ex-girlfriends. Not to preach and play in those cities. And I mean girlfriends very loosely. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in a committed relationship, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We were in a committed situationship every Mm -hmm. time I came to town. So I wouldn't preach and play in the same city. If I played in a city, I didn't preach in that city. So here I am contending for this systematized theology, but there's actually no transformative power in my life. Mm. Come on, man. At some, at some point, you gotta, I had to be honest with myself and be like, all right. This isn't changing me. This isn't changing me, right? Like, I'm out here just hiding what I really have had and carried for X number of years, hoping that one day I do change, but I'm still living it out. 
Hmm. So then what good is all this theology we doing? So what began the transition away from, should I call it a legalistic faith? I would call it from, uh, for me and my friend, where I would call, what began the move away from living like a hypocrite? Or what began the move away from living in your lust? Or what began the move away from just being a slave to sin? Yeah, what, what caused that? What caused what? Well, see, so you were living, you were self-admittedly admittedly living a hypocrit hypocritic lifestyle at that point for you, or at least you were believing in a way or embracing theology in a way that you did not see changing you. Yeah, I was believing theology and I was accepting it on its face value as true, but it wasn't transforming me. And I was caught in this cycle where I had a theology that justified me staying in that selfish behavior because, hey, I'm always a sinner. But, you know, there's grace that's going to come mm -hmm. and cover me. So I was, had a theology that allowed me to continue to live that way. But then that very theology... Well, it didn't allow you to... Well, I guess you did, like from what you just said. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah it, cause okay. it just, because like, I can commit it all will these, come. Yeah, it will come if I continue to believe. And there was like this perverted sense of as long as I keep preaching this, maybe there's a change of coming. Right? Yeah. I just got to stay faithful. And, you know, in one way that wasn't true. And then in another, in another I guess it was because the change did come. Right. But it somehow went deeper for you. And it, it seems like you've lost a lot of the, the insisting on liter not maybe not liter literals, maybe not the right word, but it seems like you've lost a legalistic approach and embraced more of a what? Or am I saying that right? I don't know. I mean, I only insist on being right with you. <laughs> Me personally? <laughs> yeah, just because it's so much fun still. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for stopping by with it. So, I mean, what, what was it? So, was it just the realization that this isn't changing me? I've got to search for more? Was there like a lecture? Was, I mean, what, what began? Was it... Was it what you see as God calling you to something more and that you just felt like I'm not getting it, there's got to be more? I, had, I heard the gospel for real. And how did that happen? I popped on YouTube and through a series of clicks and events, I ended up on a YouTube page where a guy was preaching about living in Holy Spirit righteousness mm -hmm. and that we were created to live with a destiny and a legacy and an identity that God wanted for us and that we can live in freedom and in holiness, free from our sin, free from other people, and free from the expectations that we put on ourselves. And as I started hearing the true gospel of Jesus, something happened, man. And I remember I sat there and listened to this guy and other guys like him for eight, 10 hours straight, just consumed it, consumed it. And I'm listening to stuff that I hadn't heard before. And this is me sitting as a PhD student at theology. At this point, I have two degrees. I have my bachelor's degree in theology and my master's, which is a dual master's in, well, it had a double major, double emphasis in. And these YouTubers just unseated your theology. Yep. And these YouTubers just came through and wrecked me because they presented the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And 
I went to bed that night with my head spinning. Like, I've never heard this before. I didn't know this was possible. And I went to bed just asking God, asking the Lord Jesus, like, you know that I can't live this way anymore because I'm either going to stop doing ministry because I'm going to pursue this other life or I'm going to just blow it all up because I'm going to try to keep doing ministry but hide this other life and it's going to catch up to me. And by that point, it was catching up to me. <laughs> uh, uh -oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, man, I went to sleep that night just head spinning, man. Woke up the next day and my life was changed. I woke up the next day, Trent, and the first thought that came to my head was God loves me. And like I knew it with every fiber of my being that I was loved by God. Like I knew it from the inside out. So how did that work a change in you? Like how's that how's that change anything? You knew before God loved you, but now you Yeah, but now I knew it inside. Like spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Like I had a living experience that I woke up the next day and the lust that was all over me before was not there, not in the same way. And I've never been the same. I've never been the same. And I mean, you can, you can ask my friends, you yourself know, you've seen a change in me. I, I just, and the one truth that changed it was that I knew I couldn't earn God's love. I couldn't do anything to actually justify myself before him, whether I believed in him or not, didn't change this one unchangeable truth that I was loved by God. Like, regardless, I'm loved by God, period. And actually having that from the inside out changed it all. Now, I could argue with you all day about the logic of things, and we'll do that for fun on this podcast, but that isn't where I live my life anymore. I don't live my life in being right on the like the, some philosophical argumentation on providing evidence for God. That's not where I live from anymore. I gave that stuff up. I love having those conversations with you and with others. Before, I used to thrive off those conversations. That's where my identity was. Not anymore. My identity is that I'm loved and I live at peace with other people and with myself. This is where the crux of it is for me at this moment because in my deconstruction from faith, the same faith that you had, that you were far more knowledgeable in, PhD level, and I'm just kind of a uh, citizen of the town kind of thing rather than the mayor. Um, I stepped away from like, you know, in the same way, it didn't seem to have the framework that truly changed me. And I've watched too much um, grasping at legalism and certainty to a large degree mm -hmm. as a way of proving this is true and that will do a great change in me. Mm -hmm. Now, at the same time, uh, rejecting that, I went with that preconceived idea of I can find absolute truth to give me meaning to yeah. a degree, you know. And I've gone the other way, you know, very, very close to atheism um, as a way of trying to figure out what's true. And at the end of that, I found... Uh, a, a materialistic explanation of why things happen, 
how molecules bump into each other and why and what happens afterwards, but uh, lost meaning, mm -hmm. right? Um, and in the dead end of that, you know, I, I could see very closely that this is a cliff that you can easily fall off of for me. Mm -hmm. um, realizing that I would either become a nihilist atheist or have to play a game with calling myself an atheist that embraces humanism even though I even though it has it intrinsically no meaning with that explanation on it mm -hmm. and I couldn't honestly say I don't feel or I don't know from experience that this has meaning in some way. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of standing at the edge of nihilism looking back thinking something back here in between the two places I was at has to be a closer position to uh, an ultimate truth, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's interesting to me that you would, you would, uh, that you've kind. Of, it seems like you've kind of found that you've gone from a legalistic framework to delving deeper into uh, having that spiritual, that deeper spiritual experience, and finding that deeper meaning in it. You keep using the word meaning. What do you intend to say by use of that word? Um. In a lot of everything that I've been listening to and processing, there's a difference between truth and meaning. And a lot of people will say science is an objective process of finding truths and uh, belief, spirituality, and religion is a process of finding meaning. Uh-huh. So um, then what does that mean? What does meaning mean? Um, I mean, that's a terrible question because it's a... To some degree, it's a tautology, <laughs> right? We're using the word that you want to describe in the actual question, yeah. right? So what do you intend to say? What's the intention of the use of this word? What is the concept that you're driving at when you right. use a word like so meaning? that? So that concept ties into much of what we were talking about previously, as far as like materialism will get you closer to objective, true facts that you can reproduce. Uh, but then if you take those objective true facts and project what they point at, it, this is what it means. Like, these facts singularly in themselves hold very, very little meaning. Mm -hmm. But together they point towards the bigger meaning. So kind of like Aristotle, he says the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Right, there's something more there, and that's kind of also leads into the conversation of free will and determinism. Are we more than just a reaction of our deterministic mm -hmm. molecules? Is there something more in there, mm -hmm. you know, making decisions and everything? So then meaning to some degree is what? Finding fulfillment, purpose, ascribing worth and value intrinsically to things and participating in a story that is greater than yourself so that your destiny, your being, your person actually matters Right, like before I had truth and meaning, before I separated myself from my religious tribe and process of world, world view. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I learned very quickly what the absence of meaning 
felt like. Like, mm -hmm. I felt like, well, what's it all mean? Am I just biologically, deterministically responding to this is my offspring, and so it's just determined that I'll have love for them because it's an extension of me and, and I have a will to survive for some reason. Or, mm -hmm. You know, and at that point, losing that worldview can very much, um, you know, uh, strip you of meaning. Yeah, and again this use of the word meaning in that there is some sort of transcendence to your life that it actually speaks to something beyond and greater than yourself that even at times to define the word meaning it's almost ineffable it's 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 vaporous outside of us where you know that it's there but you can't quite grasp it it's kind of like smoke right where yeah, you I see mean, it but you can't hold it that's my definition of where god is or comes from Oh, well, point. now you jump forward into a whole nother puddle. Cause All right, sorry, I won't take us there. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you jump into the puddle of what you actually believe God to be. But then the question is, on what basis do you believe God to be that? Yeah, you'd have to explain that question to me. Well, you'd have to tell me on what, what is it, on what evidence do you actually ground? Or do you make sense of? Or can you, so for instance, if I say Trent is wearing a hat with watermelon design on it, mm -hmm. right? I just made a proposition. I proposed something, Sure. right? And in that proposition, I then have to offer evidence in order to validate said proposition mm -hmm. to an independent uh, sentient being. So if I'm saying this proposition to somebody who isn't looking at you or doesn't see you, I have to offer evidence, right? Mm -hmm. And what is the evidence? Evidence is literally a body of information that determines whether a proposition mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is true and or valid, mm -hmm. right? So that it's actually in agreement. So the word and reality agree. Right? Okay. So how do I propose to actually offer evidence that this proposition is true? Trent is wearing a hat with watermelon design. Right. I point to your watermelon hat. It's right there. You can see it, right? right. So I just offered evidence to my proposition. And this is very easy to do. Well, in this regard, it is. Yeah. Right? But then you're proposing that God is something akin to smoke and vapor that can't be grasped. So then my question in, in turn is, what evidence do you offer in order to validate this proposition you're making? Right. So that gets to the question of how can there be so many different PhD levels of understanding of a seemingly ambiguous book? And this is my criticism on uh, religious structure and religious books taken too literally. You know, what what validity can there be when you can go to a PhD level of understanding on a single book or library of restricted books and disagree between, you know, three different, you know, four, however many hundreds of different denominations. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this PhD level understanding over sure. here on this book disagrees with this PhD level of understanding on this book. But now we're talking about the interpretation of a text. 
right? Sure, then the combination of the whole thing. Where my question prior to is how do you make this statement about God? So remove the text away from it. Okay. Take the text off the table. Just this thing that you said about God. First of all, where do you get this idea of a God? From the only thing I've ever known. Which my, is you what? Know, my experience within Adventism. Okay, okay. So then what evidence do you offer mm-hmm. that then would lead you to say that God is like smoke, that he's vaporous, that can't be grasped? Is that from your subjective experience? Um, I have no evidence. Uh, I have no objective evidence of God. Yeah, so then that statement in and of itself is one that on its face is one that speaks to your experience, but one I can't truly interact with sure. outside so of like, you. There's, there's a subjective experience mm-hmm. of experiencing love, meaning, self-sacrifice, uh, you know, meaning, loose term again. But there's a subjective experience where the collection of it all keeps telling you if you're honest with, if I'm honest with myself, it keeps telling me that there's more than just the materialist, deterministic explanation of things. That there's, there is something within us that you could say, soul, and that it is from somewhere else beyond what we understand. What evidence do you offer for those statements? My subjective experience. See, so then I can't investigate that. Sure, we can't actually. I know, which right. to me leaves it, uh, you know, I leave it liberally over in the uh, subjective experience and more mystical side of yeah, things. Yeah, but that's not what Christianity is based on. Well, see, the problem is that Christianity and, you know, the story of Christ is like, I don't disagree with anything he told us to do as much as I have a hard time accepting anything he claimed about himself that was supernatural. And I leave myself in a space of being a materialist skeptic and saying, well, until I can put my finger in your side, I'll stand here and you can come to me. Yeah, so this is, so... The statement of God's like a vapor that you can't actually validate in any way with any evidence is one that's wholly subjective, right? That's, that's, that, that's a proposition you made from your experience that I can't truly investigate. Sure. Are we together? Sure. I, I'm not saying like actually like a vapor. Of no, I know. Not literally, but the idea, right? right yeah. Right? But Christianity isn't actually built on that. Christianity is not built on the idea of God in subjective mystic um, interaction. Would everyone agree with you on that? Yes. Okay. And here's why. Okay. Everyone. That's a big well, statement. It, it is a big statement. Those who don't agree don't actually know what they're talking about. <laughs> oh, man. And here's why. Okay. Because Christianity is built on one claim and one claim alone, that there was a man who died who rose from the dead. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so the claim for Christianity is not based on a mystic subjective interaction the basis for Christianity is actually based on a real world event where more than one being actually interacted independent of other beings with a real world event. So that Jesus actually existed in the flesh and was seen by thousands of people. Pause. Seen by thousands of people. Yep. This stupid, stupid camera must be reset every 30 minutes.
seen by thousands of people. Hold on, sorry, 25, there we go. Oh, darn it, pause, cancel, 28, there we are. Okay, go ahead, see? Seen by thousands of people, and his existence can be independently verified. Okay, existence, like, did this dude exist? I, yeah. don't, I don't have a lot of problem with that. Well, yeah. If... But then you go into, like, here's my critique, right? Yeah. Or here's my skeptical critique. Yeah. Is that witnesses of events are always going to differ. And people who want to see things are going to see things. And there's so much that um, handicaps a true recounting of experience, especially an emotional experience, that makes it not able to be really truly translated in what actually happened. Have you, have you investigated that? Investigated what? The, the, the claims about Jesus being resurrected from the dead and the independent eyewitnesses that actually left textual information for us to investigate? Uh, I know I, the answer is no, yeah. not yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm mostly in this process of deconstruction. I'm still trying to find a way to get to where I can take. Uh, I hope there's a God. That's where I'm at right now. I well, hope no, no, a God. again. Let's... But I, I can't emotionally, no. truthfully explore that yet. Yeah, see, but that's the thing that if you're unwilling to explore evidence that's been left behind. Not unwilling. I'm just not there yet. You're not. What does that mean? You're not there yet. Um, I tried to listen to a sermon the other day and I just couldn't hear it. But like I'm it not was... asking, but that's the thing. It's not about listening to a sermon. I'm talking about historical evidence. Sure. I mean, my pushback at this point is like, okay, how many, I mean, how many crazy people have there been throughout history claiming things like Christ that, again, that didn't go anywhere? And then you can pin not, it on like, again, well, where he was just at the that's time. That's not what I'm, I don't think you're hearing me. Okay historical evidence uh -huh. like on what basis do you know that julius caesar existed um historical recounting from historians which i know you know josephus whoever else you know did did that about christ and everything too and we have more well, evidence for christ than we do for who's the person alexander the Great. we have Someone a lot of evidence for christ so i see so already on that one basis you know that there is substantial evidence that christ did in fact exist the 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 real man person yes yes there's I, a preponderance of evidence i'm i'm kind of willing to accept that without having to do all the research myself. i mean that you're willing to accept it is generous but that the preponderance of evidence would lead yeah, like of evidence. the weight the of evidence the wealth of evidence the stacking up of evidence uh -huh. actually towards all, a supernatural claim though, no, right? no 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 okay. first don't, don't don't run too fast right first there was this man that existed sure who went by the name of jesus yep he was a carpenter from Galilee. Mm -hmm. He lived in the early first century, sure. right? Yeah. And he was crucified, crucified under Pontius Pilate, right? Yes. He led a band of people who mm -hmm. actually believed that he was the Messiah. It was said. Yeah. Did they? Be I mean, they. I mean, they. They killed him and they're just kind of like but again this is this is the thing trent the historical evidence is factually there that there was a group of people and listen to the language i used that believed him to uh -huh. be the messiah okay i did not say that he was in fact messiah that so they believed him to be the Messiah, and when he died they were kind of like ah oh, crap well again have you investigated the evidence to actually get there 
uh, no, not at all. Yeah. So then this is my point about what Christianity is built on. Christianity is not first and foremost built on on a mystical experience with God. Christianity is built on the weight and not on one claim that a man who existed in history, mm -hmm. who actually walked on earth, who was mm -hmm. crucified under Pontius Pilate, mm -hmm. was then resurrected. Okay. Right? That's the claim. These yeah, are all historical claims. It's, it's hard for me to... Fair enough. Fair enough. But without actually doing the investigation, we can't discount Christianity as just another mystical experience that's subjective. Because the basis of it is not mystical subjectivity. If you mm -hmm. have another faith tradition that is wholly introspective via meditation, for instance, in the Far Eastern tradition, there is not evidence that's independent of sentient beings that can actually be seen independently and we can't actually use investigative historical tools to claim whether or not nirvana is a real thing. Right. Right? That's wholly subjective. Sure. That's a mystical experience. That, by definition, is what mysticism is. It is a transcendent experience with the divine that actually happens sub with, within us with our mind, right? Mm -hmm. Not our brain, but our mind. Sure. Right? That's not Christianity. So... The, the proof claims of it lie outside of that, is what you're saying. I'm saying... That but the, 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 the thing that changed you, though, was that experiential... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The truth that, ex that, that, that changed me was what I believe to be a living experience with the spirit of this resurrected man. So that, yes, in my personal experience, I had what you might term a mystical experience. Mm -hmm. But what I'm drawing attention to is that Christianity is not built on not my experience. experience. Well, no, no, no. The claims of Christianity, like the, the foundational claim on which Christianity is actually built mm -hmm. is not first and foremost a subjective mystical experience because Christianity is not built on the relationship of a mystical experience that one person subjectively had. Christianity is built on a historical claim that can be independently verified by many. So in many ways, the... Let's see if you can get past this, but the, the meaningless underpinnings are factual. The meaningless... And they're, they're, I mean, these facts are not what's most important, but here is the basis on which you build to the most important what part is of most this. important for one that it's real that yeah so christians important. believe that jesus was really resurrected right i mean for one that it you know it actually was a person yeah or you know a being um that you know uh, the spirit of god came into and filled and created or whatever uh you well, know, the claim that is that was, he was a person just like you and I. Right, right. Yeah. Well, uh, no, that he was person. He was embodied. He was in flesh. He had will, dad, personality, I mean, was character. Different than you know. Uh, 
Yeah, but what I mean by person is by like the strict definition yeah. of what a person is. Will, character, body, personality. He actually had a body. Yeah. He had will. He had character. He had personality. He had brain and mind. All of the things that actually categorize what personhood is. Mm-hmm. He had all of those things. Right, and so, still has them, supposedly. And still has them. So could appear on the couch next to me one of these mornings. I mean, he appeared to the disciples after the crucifixion. He could. Could. He could. Could. Yeah. Because that's an, another interesting question as to, like, why is Thomas See, but the that, way you, but the I way don't. you frame that, you frame it with the air of skepticism. I definitely have skepticism. Right? That is incredulous and almost... Like, you'll have to explain incredulous like, before I can continue to It's unbelievable. To it's unbelievable. Right? Like... It's skeptical. It's well, almost, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's not like anything anyone's ever experienced here that we can. But object, again, you know, again, like, again, again. This is the point. This okay. is the point. There are actually people who say they experienced it and left us evidence. Like, did you see a monkey transform into a human? Have you but, seen that? And yet, people say there's evidence. There's actually no. You nobody's ever seen it, but everybody believes it because a certain group of people say they offer evidence. Right. So be. Just because sure. you find the thing unbelievable doesn't mean that it's now something that should be mocked via skepticism. I'm, I'm not mocking. I, it, how's that mocking? I didn't accuse you of mocking, right? Okay. okay. Right? But it shouldn't be, let's say at least this. It and shouldn't what be, is wrong with it, mocking? Well, it doesn't give due, uh, it doesn't give due um, respect to somebody's belief that you're actually trying to engage in a thoughtful, sincere conversation. Okay, I'm all right, but I'm I'm at the point where you know people ask me like, well, what will it take for you to believe? Well, no, no, I'm just answering your question of what's wrong with mocking. If you're oh. actually trying to interact with another adult, uh-huh. <laughs> and you gen- genuinely and you generally when you generally mock them, it sure. doesn't actually allow for the best of of like you know exchange, right? Is that fair? Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, uh, I mean, personally, I think there, there is something to humor that gets at the deeper truths that we can't really grasp uh, humor, that brings out inconsistencies. Yes, and humor is one thing, and let's not talk about the merits, the social merits of humor and how it actually creates in-group, out-group, because this is the social function of humor, but... You know, yeah. there's actually a PhD study on that if you want to play That's that game. Interesting too. Yes. <laughs> but let's go right back to the thing about okay. uh, faith and whether or not Jesus can appear next to you. Which totally can. Well, according to. The claim. The claim is that he can. Mm-hmm. And again, the claim, the proposition that he can, is again, there's evidence that's offered in order to validate said proposition. Okay. So. That it is highly unlikely, yes. Why? No, that he would appear next to you, that it's Why highly unlikely. Why is that unlikely? highly unlikely? Well, it's highly unlikely because it hasn't happened in great... It hasn't happened a lot of times. It's highly unlikely that there's a God. Well, no, just because something is highly unlikely doesn't make it untrue. Yeah, I, right, it's it's highly unlikely that somebody in the next hundred years is going to win six championships with the Bulls, with two in between, one by the Houston Rockets. That are, order of championships in that way is highly unlikely, but yeah. it's happened. Sure. Okay. So just so, because something's highly unlikely doesn't make it un, un, uh, 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 untrue. Sure. Sure. No. That absolutely. 
spot. So given the history that we have of the past 2,000 years, it's highly unlikely that in this time, in this place, Jesus Christ is going to pop next to you. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't done it in the past. It doesn't make it untrue. Sure. <laughs> I keep hearing all these stories that in the Muslim world, Christ is appearing to people. Yeah, fair enough. Why not in the Western world? To me, it only speaks of um, societies that are... Is this a, it, I don't know what it is, but why, why would Christ appear to someone in another land, in another spirituality, but not appear to me as a means of, uh, you know, pushing my belief past the hope? I don't know why Christ chooses to do that, and I wouldn't pretend to actually know the... Is it an absurd thing then to ask for? Well, I just think it's illogical. Okay, why is it illogical? Because if you allow for the fact that he has appeared to others, then he exists. But then you're discounting his existence just because he hasn't appeared to you. Okay, so the, uh, let's see. That's like saying the lottery isn't real just because I haven't won it. (laughs) That's a fair analogy. But, yeah, no, that's a pretty good analogy. Uh... But, I mean, the lottery, I can go and actually meet lottery winners and I can actually, you know, get a ticket that represents it oh, and can everything you? else. Can you? Oh, stop it. Oh. <laughs> does, it, does it smell of mocking? Is that, is that what it feels <laughs> yes, like? It feel like you're being mocked a little bit. <laughs> so, it's, there's a difference. So, you can in investigate it. that? Like, you can go and see somebody who won the lottery? Right. You can what if actually somebody, see what somebody somebody who What if somebody hasn't won the lottery in 100 years? Can you go investigate whether or not there was lottery winners 100 years ago? Uh, you can use historical recounting. Oh, that. you can use historical records. Okay, Man, but interesting. They're, they're far more dependable, in my opinion. Yeah, in your opinion. You haven't actually studied it. I, no, I have not studied yeah, the lottery so, winner. No, you haven't studied <laughs> the veracity of his, ancient historical documents. You haven't actually compared them to that which you've assumed uncritically because somebody taught you in school because it doesn't make a supernatural claim. So you're telling me that this one story of, of religious and spiritual whatever uh-huh. is the only one that's valid? No, I'm telling you that there is historical documentation for you to actually go and investigate it for yourself. Further. But you not having done that, the claims that you're making about it are suspicious because they're just coming from a subjective experience that almost seems to be disappointed because the living Christ hasn't popped up next to you. So because it hasn't popped up next to you, you're discounting all that which you yourself haven't investigated. No, no, no. I'm not discounting because Christ hasn't. I've come to a point Uh where it seems like there's enough... um, Evidence? uh, No, it's the evidence that's biased. There's enough... There's enough reason to believe that people could have gotten things wrong because of their own biases. There is, there's, there certainly is that. Yeah, and but what I've I'm come to a point of like I feel that there should be a God with my subjective experience. Yeah. Uh, but I'm worried that we don't really have a clear picture. But many people. But now claim, you're speaking for everybody. On, you're not letting me. Okay. Get my point, this is what happens when when friends do this, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so. I've come to a point where I'm only left with hope and a high degree of skepticism towards people being able to recount what actually happened. Yeah, but... Yeah. Oh, yes. 
and I've left myself at a dead end where it's like, all right, why can't Christ just come and sit on the couch next exactly. to me and have a 10-minute conversation? But this is exactly what I think I just said, that you come to this point and you get to this place of saying, why can't Christ appear to me? Why can't Trent actually do the investigation? I'm doing the investigation. No, you have not yeah, done the... I am doing... Trent, have you investigated? I'm on the road Trent, of investigation. Trent, if, I know it's recorded now and it's an iPod a, 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 a podcast, but I've been telling you for years. Mm-hmm. We sat at your mama's table in mm-hmm. Berrien Springs, and I looked at you and I told you the same thing. And that wasn't the first time I told you, and this was like four Thanksgivings ago. Okay. Right? This was at least six years ago I told you the same thing I'm telling you right now. If you're going to investigate, at least investigate this one claim. Because Christianity, like this whole idea of God existing, that notion of God is one that humanity has held from time immemorial. That he is, there is a being, right? A okay. being that exists beyond humanity that's transcended. And he has some right. relationship to us in our form, right? Whether he intended creation or whether he superintended creation through speaking us into existence or through somehow having a war in the heavens that he reigns supreme and or by doing this thing in stages, long epochs, evolutionary stages, right? Humans have believed something like that about God for years. All religions have believed something about, like most of you, now this is completely unfounded, but I would venture to say like 90 in the 90 plus range of humans that have existed in the history of humans. Percentage. Yes. They've believed in some sort of idea about God. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. That being said, I as a Christian recognize that God is a universal idea that humans hold at one point in their life or another. Some hold on to it longer, some discard it, but we humans have this almost innately, right? Mm -hmm. That's one thing. I'm talking about a claim in history about a man, right? So make a distinction between the transcendent God and this claim I'm making about a man who claimed to be God in the flesh in history. Mm -hmm. Christianity is not built on the mystical relationship between humanity and a transcendent notion of God. Say that last sentence. Humanity is not, Christianity is not built on the relationship between humanity and the God that is transcendent, this mystical relationship between the vaporous God. only. No, 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 no. Christianity. Christianity is not built or founded on that Humanity has a mystical relationship with a transcendent God. That might be a consequence of what Christianity is built on. Mm-hmm. But it's not actually built on that. Okay. Christianity is built on this one historical claim okay. that Jesus the man crucified under Pontius Pilate was in fact resurrected. Okay. So, I still, I, I totally understand what you're saying, uh, and I think you agree with me that you don't discount that there is also that aspect that you experienced after watching YouTube. That it, it's absolutely, there. Absolutely, absolutely. That but aspect. The, the is foundation there. of it and everything else is built on historical claims that are can be historically verified. The belief in Christianity, 
is that the experience I had is only possible precisely because he is, in fact, resurrected. Sure, sure. Um, now, that, that experience that you had, do you think anyone else has experienced a extremely similar thing to that outside of the bounds of Christianity? Yes. Uh, and it's valid? Yes. Fair enough. You, you named it. You said Muslims, right? That's outside of the bounds of Christianity. Right. And I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm leaning towards, uh, not pantheism, I don't think, but, um, pluralism to a large degree. Is there, is there an, are there other ways to God that people have come to God outside of, Again, you know. I would have to ask, the, the question prior to that for me is, what do you mean by God and yep. what do you mean by coming to him? Fair enough. Hmm. All right. Um, so we were having this discussion earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, talk to me about the nuances between determining truth between materialism and mysticism like how do you do you think it's first of all do you think it's important well first of all do you think there is truth is it important to seek truth and how do you seek truth knowing that kind of the i don't know yes. uh, far reaches are materialism and mysticism on I, either side i don't affirm that the far reaches are materialism and mysticism on either side i don't think how that. so well, I think this is a binary that you construct in order to make sense of your experience okay. and one that I don't wholly buy, that on one end you have materialism and on the other hand you have mysticism. I don't think that it exists in a continuum, continuum like that. That mysticism is a human experience, right, that is contrary to uh, materialism. Contrary? Well, yeah, I think it participates in the law of identity because... What do you mean by that? Oh, well, the three laws, like, if materialism is true, mysticism can't be true. I guess as a philosophical approach, uh, insisting that all there is is materialism. materialism, then you can't right. have mysticism. Right. I guess I should uh, maybe, t in me and my idea of how discern to discern truth, I see materialism mm -hmm. as very restricting and going too far, mm -hmm. but also I see a materialistic way mm -hmm. of interpreting what's true okay. as okay. part of discerning what's true and a good way to get at the very razor-sharp, minuscule facts. Sure, so materialism is a way of interpreting the world or being materialistic. Ism. Materialism is a way of and mater a philosophy of like insisting only what we can reproduce and objectively prove is what's true, and there basically is no meaning. It, yeah, materialism. So again, that, that well, yeah. So hypermaterialism, as a, a la naturalism, that all there is is nature, all there right. is is material fact. Um, I I don't subscribe to that. I don't hold that sure. as a. But I mean, a, a, a materialist way of uh -huh. proving objective singular facts 
is one way of saying like, um, you know, uh, here's a set of materialist data points or, you know, material facts. Yeah, I think that what you're we saying is that... We can't deny those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying that at, at least there is material objective fact in our world yeah. to some degree that although we can't actually get to the proof of it, our ability to have some sort of consensus by use of reason, even like with its limitations, the baseline, there is materiality, right? Right. You're there, I'm here, you have a hat, I have a shirt. The world is made up of things, right? Right. Okay, yeah, sure. And on the other end, there's... There's a subjective experience mm -hmm. that is far more meaningful to a person and it tells them things and they gain insight and wisdom from it. But it's not something that you can pin down in a, in a material manner. Yeah, and on this regard, like, I hear what you're saying. I just don't think that you can make that clear of a distinction because there are those who find a lot of meaning in material, right? Like, there are those who find a lot of meaning in their lives by um, pursuing just objective, cold, hard facts, if you're going to say it that way. Well, yeah, sure. And, I, and I'm not saying it has to be one way or the other. Um, I'm just, but, this dichotomy of yours that you continue to work within. Uh, it's not a dichotomy. Uh, it's the out, it, it's like you and I both agree, I think, that the best um, political stance, if you will, to lead a nation forward is far more centrist than on the far right or the far left. Again, so what you're saying is that there are these edges, right? Well, they, they kind of, they're just, they're almost like, uh, where the light falls off, you know? Yeah, I, and again, I just don't conceive of it that way. Like, I hear what you're saying, okay. I just don't conceive of it that way. How do you conceive of it? Conceive of what precisely? Well, like, like truth. Like, what is truth to you, and how, and how oh, do yeah, you get a, to it? Yeah, yeah, for me, truth is a person. So, so everything to be true, first and foremost, centers on Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything to you. Yeah, everything. I see gospel everywhere. Okay, so what... Uh, okay, so, so how, how does Christ Because inform... you're asking me about truth or fact? Because that you're wearing a hat, fact, that doesn't mm -hmm. make it truth. I don't think that's what you mean by truth. Because then that's just material. It's... Okay, so... I mean, this is the distinction between true and truth, big truth, capital T... Lowercase, true, right? Right. That today is, in fact, Sunday is true, but it's not truth. It's not the truth that actually gives meaning to your life, right? This is what we talk about when we're actually exchanging and trading well, in the notion yeah. of truth. If, if you're going to go capital T, truth being meaning, but that... That seems to be what you're attempting to arrive at, right? Right, but if you go deep enough, like, you know, what is true? Like, is anything true? Is there any truth because yeah. everything because on one spectrum you can you can go one direction on the spectrum and you can just be like well this is a hand well it's not it's actually cells well it's not actually cells it's then atoms and it's not actually atoms it's i don't know next See, I don't, string theory you I can don't, I don't you can take that... truth and you can continually infinitely take it deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper so you keep conflating these terms you're talking about as facts you're talking about facts like 
facts that you can actually observe, demonstrate that, you know, right. to some, like these are facts, right? You're talking about, you keep referring to truth and facts and you keep collapsing them together. That there is a relation between the two is certain, but they are the same as not. Facts are not truth. Facts, even by your own admission, you're seemingly saying that facts aren't enough to actually give meaning to your life. Right. But truth is, truth but can. But the, the collection of the facts as you experience them in your subjective experience are kind of like dots that connect the line that point towards big T truth. Okay. That's how I see it. Okay. And? I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how different people discern truth. And it seems to me, for you, everything centers on Christ. And if you find that the, you know, the nature of atoms in some way conflicts with what Christ said, Christ stays true in the Again, nature of atoms. I, I don't that, think you're making the clear enough distinction between truth and facts. Because now you're thinking that I'm fundamentalistly looking at atoms through Christ. And if it doesn't somehow reveal who Christ is, that atoms are what? They don't exist or that I don't have a good appreciation for this naturalistic reality of atoms? Right. Pause. Pink. So, truth, truth and facts. Dif like, how does, does Christ apply to facts to you or just facts what you get from a materialistic investigation. Yeah, again, all right, let me see if I can frame this differently for you. Okay. Do I believe in material? Yes. Of course I do, right? Do I believe in the phenomenon of nature? Of course I do. Do I believe in Newtonian physics? Of course. Do I believe in sub, uh, subatomic particles and quantum physics? Seemingly, yes. I don't know how that works. Right. right, they disprove Newtonian physics at a certain level. Exactly. At a certain level, they do not disprove Newtonian physics. Newtonian physics well, does not apply. Up. Right, right, right. Right? That's the thing. They, it, it doesn't disprove Newtonian physics. Newtonian physics don't apply sure, right. at a level. So, for instance, materiality isn't enough to actually give meaning, right? Things like morality beauty, right, mm. uh, meaning itself, right, materiality doesn't actually give us any of those, and yet no. we have them, sure. right, and these are markers for us that there is some sort of truth out there, right, from some sense of morality. Yeah, I see those as like dots that you, if you connect them all, make a picture somehow. Yeah. So I don't Data deny, points. I don't deny materiality. I'm just saying that materiality and that which is beyond materiality, morality, meaning, beauty, and well, science and mathematics itself, they actually find meaning and truth, big T, through the lens of the life that Jesus came and revealed. You lost me on that last bit there. So Jesus came and revealed the way to live in this world, right? Mm -hmm. He taught us how to live. And he said this way of living is the way to live. And the way he showed us was a way where do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The mm -hmm. way he showed us is that to not live at somebody else's expense 
is the way we can actually all flourish in this world. The way mm -hmm. he showed us was that we should not objectify one another for our own desires and our own ends. Mm -hmm. And he said that this way was so true that in this way was life. He also made the point that he was the very way that would demonstrate to us how to live this way to the point that all we would ever actually live in is life itself. So as he showed us this way, he never let the way we treated him determine how he treated us because this was in fact the way he was showing us that is the way to live. He was unlocking reality saying, do you want to live a peaceful, united, meaningful life in this world? Then don't live at each other's expense. Even to the point that if somebody slaps you on the cheek, you turn your other cheek. Mm -hmm. And he proved, or at least he demonstrated his commitment to this life by letting his enemies actually take his life. The story is this, where he knew what he was walking into and he walked into it anyway in order to demonstrate the very validity of his claims. So he made this proposition, this is the way to live. And then we asked the question, well, what evidence do you offer to us that this is the way that we would live? And this is what he said. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. So he gets murdered on a cross and while he's being murdered, there are those who mock him saying, oh, you claim that you're God. Get up off of that cross, right? But he stayed. He's like, no, 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 something's happening here. Something's happening here, right? I'll come off this cross, but not in the way you think. So he made this claim about living a particular way. He gave himself over to us. We mocked him and we killed him. And then he rose from the grave in power in order to validate that that which he said about life is actually, in fact, true. That this is the way to live. Mm -hmm. And it's so true that by living and being this, he overcame death itself. So when you ask me what's truth, I think the way of Jesus is truth. The way he taught us how to live is truth. That does not discount that there is material in the world. Sure. What it points to is that meaning, morality, story of origin, and my destiny are found in the story that Jesus came to tell us about reality. And he validated that which he said by resurrecting from the dead. And he established that thing in my life by meeting me personally. Hmm. There's not a lot I can criticize there or easily throw away. Because Christianity is not primarily... Easy to throw away? No, it's not primarily based on this <laughs> mystical thing, man. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's based on historical, and then, yeah, then it's this personal encounter. But right. Built, built off historical. How does... How does Everything that you just said, how does that cut across um, how you spend your money, cast your vote, use your time? So, because, like, I was thinking the other day, like, geez, you know, someone flew planes into towers. 
-hmm. And our first thing to do was to go to war. I mean, obviously, you go and attack another nation after they attack you, or attack the nation that's responsible for the people. But, but geez, if, if Christ was the president, would he have done that? I don't know. Like, that, that almost gets too personal. When I, like, a difficulty I have is, is the example of Christ that extreme that it would call me to expect behavior like that, to... <laughs> To not um, to not respond to things like that in that manner. Well, you asked the early Christians. Yeah, they wouldn't have. <laughs> and what's the historical record? It seems like they would have lined up to give their lives. It like doesn't seem like the it. Other. They did. That's the historical record. Irrefutable. So what do you what do you do with that when you when you live in a nation and have the ability, live in a nation that um, in many ways uh, is able to sustain itself off of uh, taking advantage of those less fortunate uh, through our capitalist means uh, that, you know, capitalism works in some senses and in other senses takes advantage of uh, those less fortunate that you can hold there. Um, well, you could do a number of things, right? You can vote your conscience. Mm -hmm. You can decide not to participate in the system and vote at all. Or you can run for office. Christians have done all of those with mixed results. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a hard one for me because I feel like if I got to the point where I actually embrace what it seems like Christ was saying my life would change so dramatically that I'd, I'd end up homeless and penniless and unable to support my family. It's like there, there's, a, there's a voice in the back of my head that says, well, if you embrace that truly the way it seems and what it seems to be saying, it could lead to that kind of behavior. Where's that where, voice coming from? Uh, either a... Uh, guilt from a previous culture that I was involved in, um, a real voice of God, a uh, self-inflicted, self-flagellating guilt for uh, being a privileged white male, you know? I don't know. It's funny, because you were willing to ascribe it to unbelief, uh -huh. to your history, and or to God, but you didn't really ascribe it to that which the Christian faith would ascribe it to. All right, you gotta, I don't do that again. So you ascribe that voice to either unbelief, some no, sort wait, of... No, wait, how do I ascribe that to unbelief? Oh, because you, you ascribe it to some sort of past guilt, right? You don't believe in God, so it's some sort of... Oh, past... it, that, I don't know if I believe in God or not. I hope there's a God, selfishly. So here's what I'm pointing out, that okay. when I asked you, what do you think that voice is, you didn't pinpoint... S several what... options. Yeah, there were several options, but none of the options were what Christians would actually say it is. The, the voice of God. No, it's the voice of an enemy that's trying to get you to believe that if you give yourself over to God, you're going to lose something. Oh, okay. It's not and the voice of God. It's not the voice of God that would tell you, if you choose me, you're going to live in scarcity. That's not the God of the Bible. <laughs> that's not even what I'm saying, though. I feel like if... I, I don't know. I feel like if I lived uh, my life as... 
Christ lived his, I would be I would be homeless and penniless because yes. I couldn't not constantly give away everything and take care of everyone else. And you said you heard that voice, like you hear that voice. I well, then asked I, you. I say. I know, but, I, but just to rewind, okay. I then asked you to Where identify you said voice. Yeah. What I'm pointing out is that you gave several options, but none of those were actually what the Christian worldview would identify that voice as. So you're identifying that voice as Satan uh, saying, don't do this, else you'll, you'll be in a bad place. What I'm identifying is that it's the sum total of the work of an enemy that is trying to get you to continue to be in disbelief. It's not like Satan's in a room behind in your ear. Mm-hmm. Right, this is over an oversimplification of the Christian faith yet again. Okay. All right. All right. Um, talk to me about meditation. Yeah. And so what it's done for you, or yeah. hasn't done for you? I don't know. You just briefly mentioned it. Well, yeah, I cross my legs and I float in the middle of a room from time Sick, to time. Bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nah, man. Um, what I found was that. And this is where you talk about this mystical experience, that there is an encounter with the divine, that the divine is a person. His name is Jesus, and he left us his spirit, and we can actually commune with him through spirit. But I don't commune with him by way of feeling. I don't need to feel something in order to then know that he is. But you have felt. And yeah, 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 of feel. course, of course. I feel, I do feel, but feelings aren't Lord, so I don't need feelings sure. to determine the truth of how I live. Sure. Right? It's part of it. No, no, no. Feelings don't determine the truth of how I live. They don't determine it, but it's, it's one path marker, isn't it? It might be a marker, but they don't determine. Sure. Right? Sure. It's so, one of the voices of your collective uh, counsel. No, feelings are just it's, it's emotions, right? They're just energy in motion. They're the physiological energy that exists in my biological existence. There's a wisdom within emotion as well as... Uh, uh, you know, an ability to pull you into a bad place Absolutely. As well. hear, hear, hear me, because I think you're hearing what I'm not saying. Well, I'm trying to hear you by trying to define what you're saying. Oh, okay. See, you're getting better at this. So that's well taken, <laughs> right? People are going to see this, be like, man, that Jonathan, he's so arrogant. And you know what? For every, it's and, just because for, you, for anybody you revert to your youngest for days any, when you... Yeah, for me. anybody who's listening to this, yeah, sure, I'll take that. I sound arrogant because I'm talking to Trent. This is my friend from 20 years old. and <laughs> This is like the nature of our relationship. We just go back and forth. So it is what it is. Um, but no, there, you're absolutely right. There are feelings in... Um, there are feelings in... There are wisdom in feelings, but yet the wisdom I live my life by doesn't actually come from my feelings. It, wouldn't you say it's somewhat reinforced by your feelings and slightly? It's a tiny bit. No. No, okay. All right. Right? This is where then your conviction is trying to become my obligation, but that's the very foundation of legalistic religion, which is rather humorous. Oh. Right? It's rather ironic that your experience has to then be mine. Yeah. Right? And you didn't need God to actually push that on me this past minute. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. That's how it works. So, so meditation. So that in meditation, what I mean by that is that like, I read this ancient text that is also a historical document of eyewitnesses, those who actually saw Jesus and those who actually had 
what you would call mystical experiences with God. This is the Old Testament. We're talking about Ezekiel, Isaiah, mm -hmm. even Moses himself, right? So there is that aspect within the Old Testament, but there's also what I say the Christian faith is actually rooted in is a historical event, but that does, you're absolutely true, that does not take away that there's this mystical aspect. But the point is that the mystical aspect doesn't determine right sure but yet it's still there sure so that in my experience based on the truth of what scripture speaks i interact with god by meditating on his word and thinking upon that which he has spoken so when i read say i don't know if any of the listeners have a bible but when i read things like ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in christ jesus i actually take that text and i meditate on it i think about it i press into the implications of it and i let my mind travel the road of what it actually means to have every spiritual blessing in christ jesus and when my mind travels that road, I might stop at one of the markers on that road. That means like one of them, according to scripture, means that if I have every blessing in Christ Jesus, that means there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, that I don't need to live a life of shame, guilt or condemnation. So for me, my meditation time might look like bringing to my mind the truth that I am not in condemnation. And I speak that over and over in my mind, not as a mantra, but as a truth that I'm continually exploring. And then I allow my mind to rest on that truth for an extended period of time. Hmm. And then I posture my heart towards God in truth. And as I do that in my life and I meditate on his word, there is a transforming power in living my life according to his word and not first and foremost, my feelings. So my feelings come into line with the truth that I believe. Mm -hmm. What your brief, like towards the end there, you touched on what meditation really looks like for you, mm -hmm. taking a part of scripture and really focusing on that bit of mm -hmm. what it's saying. Mm -hmm. And like a cow chews its cud, right? Continually right. bringing it up. Do I do I do I poke the do, do I poke the uh, horse at this point? Oh yeah, poke. I mean, pokey pokey poke. What what is a what is a conservative Adventist going to take away from that at this point? Oh, a conservative Adventist is going to hear that I'm a mystic and that I'm participating in spiritual formations and that I might be in deception. Right. Yeah. And a, and a liberal Adventist will say well, he's focusing on the word of God. Yeah. A liberal Adventist is going to be like, they'll hear this and be like, hey, yeah, that's great. That's great. That's interesting for, for me personally, why I'm having such a hard time with uh, separating myself from conservative Adventism, which uh, is is completely like petting your dog backwards. It's just like all the hair is going up, and this is not right. Why is this like this? Where uh, you know what you described, taking 
wisdom that hopefully is from God. And there is a God, hopefully. Hope all that. Dwell on that and see if your life improves and see if your emotions get in line with that and you become a better person overall and you have more headspace and are able to be more present. Sounds really good. Yeah, now that's one posture. No, it's Satan deceiving you going down the wrong path and you're going to be deceived. Like, yeah, that's I what I get blindsided with. Yeah, and one, then I just want to throw up my hands and be like, yeah, I'm Yeah, done. I don't do it because I'm trying to be a better person. I do it because I'm a son. So the Bible teaches me that I'm a son of God and I have the privilege of having communion with my father. And that as I have communion with my father, I grow into the fullness of who he says I am. So this isn't an attempt to be better. Well, right? it depends what you think of as good. Is good being closer to God and being more of what God wants you to be? Then yeah, no, you're that, becoming a better person. That's well I mean. said. That's well said. And that's, 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 that's correctly uh, taken. Like, point well made. I guess I'm just making sure that I frame it correctly so that people sure. don't hear that I'm doing this in order to earn right, or right, to merit, right. right? But what you say is absolutely correct. But yeah, I hear that. And then the conservative Adventist might have a response to it. But listen, man, I read the book way too many times and I know the Lord now and I'm living in freedom that I don't hang my, I don't, I don't let what somebody's going to say about my relationship with the Lord determine it. Like, you know, like, God be with you on the best days, God be with you. And on the other days, God be with you, man, whatever. If you want to have like a meaningful conversation with me about why I live the way I live in relationship to the book, I'll sit down with you. But if you want to hear this interview and then post something on the internet and you don't know me and you don't know why, and you think that you're the criterion for truth and that you're interpreting scripture correctly, well, that seems an arrogance about, um, that seems an arrogance about, you know, speaking into my experience as though, uh, yeah, especially when it comes to the book, like there's a whole host of interpretations of the book, but I hope that on my best days, I don't let somebody else's interpretation of the book be the basis by which I judge and condemn them. Like I'm happy to have a thoughtful, vigorous interaction. Like I hope this is, but to then discount them and to condemn and to judge them and cast them aside is the last thing I ever want to do, right? right? Because, like, all right, I've been harping on you for years about investigating the resurrection, but, you know, there's no way I'm going to discount your experience and or your mind as you're traversing this journey for yourself because it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I don't... I don't... I really wish my dog would stop barking. I wish my kids would recognize that and pull themselves away from the movie they're watching and go get him. But they're not yet. No, because they're like nine and six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like you could, you could dance a Scottish jig in front of Simon when he's watching a movie and he will not see you. Well. Thanks, Jed. Maybe you should let him watch more movies. <laughs> That does not fall in line with the conservative approach. I'm just saying, man. So how Let do him you... watch enough movies so that moving watching isn't like a thing. <laughs> right. So how do, you, how do you deal with like what the dance that you just had to do regardless? Because you know there can be some conservative, well-intentioned, but fully embracing their conservative 
take and personality on religion that can make your life extremely difficult. Uh, maybe, I don't know where you're really at with everything right now, but how do you deal with like the fulcrum seven types and all that, which I haven't even looked at. I've just heard like that said and watch people cringe. Like how do, I don't, how, where do you place that kind of religiosity and its effect on you? I don't. So you're good, you're just good with it. Like, I'm good, man. I don't really care. Not that I don't care. I'm just like, I'm not letting that determine. Like, I know people on that side of the fence. Mm -hmm. And these are colleagues of mine, people I've done ministry with, people that I work with, have worked with, people that I love, that are close friends of mine. And when I sit down with those people, like, we can have a great conversation. We might see things a little differently, but I love them. They, I think they respect me. I respect them, right? But when it comes to the ideology disembodied mm -hmm. from the person, right? Like, nah, man, go kick a rock. Yeah. Like, so how do you? How do you? I respect people. It doesn't mean that you know every idea is valid and or true. So if we can have a discussion like the one you and I are having, yeah, we can have it. But so, so yeah. you feel like you're not just? Do you feel that you're? not just at the place of the most capital T truth for you where you should be, but you're, you personally are close to and working to get closer to a place of truth that all people should be. I, I'm not, I gotta be honest with you, I'm not sure I understood that. Okay, so when you talk to someone who's like, like Fulcrum, seventh, great, you know, they're like, they're, that's their jam. Yeah. You're like, no, you're just wrong, man. Or are you like, well, well this is their way of seeing the world and their biology right. works for them to gravitate towards that type of thing. Yeah. But the message of Christ is far off from that. It's just not that. Yeah, yeah. Regret and they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Regrettably, like, how do you again, I'm 37 now, right? You are so old. I'm 37 now. I've known you since I was 17. Sure. Right, so the way that you and I talk is like two brothers bickering. Sure, right. I love that. <laughs> Precisely because that's what we've been doing for twenty years. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's, this is, this podcast ends up being like terrible evidence about like <laughs> like what I'm about to say is like that is not what you've been doing for the past hour. So it's like yes, <laughs> because I'm talking to like legit my brother, right? Like I don't I have I have a brother. I have a half brother. I love him. Like, I didn't grow up with a brother. If anybody's like my brother, it's like Trent Bell. So that's why we bicker like this, right? <laughs> but when I'm talking to colleagues, you're going to be like, I don't believe that. Well, I'm right? asking what you but feel watch, watch. in your I'm head. A, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I don't actually take offense to those things when people come at me like, Jonathan, how can you believe this? Not offense, but uh, what do you think of their position? I just think they're misinformed. And so, so I'll ask questions of them. Uh -huh. To point out where I think they're misinformed. And more often than not, those questions become really uncomfortable to where they start either retracting, redefining, or reformulating statements they've said. Gotcha. So, okay. for instance, I'll ask this question of somebody. And this question to me always reveals. It's, do you believe as a Christian that you are free from sin? And more often than not, my conservative brethren will say absolutely not. And then yeah. I'll take him to Romans 6, which says we absolutely are. Now, do they interpret it differently? You can't interpret it differently. Paul's, Paul's pretty clear that we're, like, the literal words is you have been freed from sin. 
Not up for two Not like you have the ability to be freed from sin. Nope, nope, nope. You have been freed from sin. You are, in fact, free from sin. You are dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Think this way. Romans 6, 11. Right? This is how you ought to think because mm -hmm. it is true in Christ Jesus. So like those sort of questions, when you start doing that and when you start that discussion, quickly um, the line of like critique that they might have had for me mm -hmm. quickly becomes a whole different thing when I start raising things like this. So it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. He says. <laughs> it is, man. I'm, I'm honest with you. All right, so uh, you had mentioned earlier, like two pillars in American faith that you have to pander to, patriarchy and conservative sexual values. That's not what I said. I didn't say you have to pander to it. <laughs> that's, that's what I wrote down. Yeah, that's not at all what I said. Okay. I, <laughs> I don't know. That's Look at you, man. Old, old Fox News face trying to make it all <laughs> sensational. <laughs> that you have to pander to. <laughs> oh, shoot. I never said pander. Well, you have to deal with something. All right. No, I said that two features of every growing <laughs> church in America. So you, earlier you had said two features of, of things that you have to uh, uh, deal with, confront, in any growing church in America? No, are, not two features you have to confront. I said two features of every healthy growing church in America is they hold a conservative sexual ethic and they primarily have male teaching. Okay. So that's just that's just an observation. Observate. Unpack that for me. Like, do, why do you think that is? Oh, okay. Now that's another thing of why do I think that is. I don't know. I haven't thought too deeply as to why do I think it is. I'm just remarking that it is. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's a. It's um. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean it plays into the idea of uh, patriarchy, hierarchy, and all of that. Uh, misogyny and everything else but what is what is healthy what is just natural does the, it play into the, the idea or do we forceful force forcibly positioned in that because what does what does male predominantly male teaching have to do what what's what's the direct line between it and misogyny and all these other things you listed well like the why abuse the abuse of male power can lead to that. But why is predominantly male teaching? You have to assume that predominantly yeah, male teaching. Yeah, just because there's predominantly male teaching um, does not, it, that's nothing negative other than uh, uh, stereotypically within the bell curve, males tend to have more of a confrontational personality where they will fight to the top. So there's a... Males there, or men? Because are you making a sexual or a gender distinction? I, I don't even know how to go there. Exactly. But I guess I just did. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> I mean... We make these host of assumptions People about, with genes that would then call them male have more tendencies towards wanting to claw their way to the top so you're making of a, any hierarchy. So you're making a gender distinction based on biology. Yes. That's sexist of you. I, am I okay with that? I don't know. Are I, you? Is that bad? I don't know. You're the one. I mean, you're trading in these ideas of misogyny and patriarchy. Right. But 
you're then basing it on a biological relationship between males, the male sex and masculinity and manhood. Okay, so like Jordan Peterson says a lot of interesting stuff on this and bases it on uh, factually gained evidence and just uh, uh, what you would, not st stereotypes the wrong word, but it would be... Um, Males tend to have a higher tendency towards, uh, a, what is it? It's a generalization. Yeah, it's, it's a, generalization, a generalization, but it it's be based stereotypical. on surveying. Yeah, but you know the problems with stereotypes are not, like stereotypes aren't a bad Well, thing that's why I'm saying not stereotypes, yeah. but um, males will tend to have higher trait, personality traits of disagree, like higher disagreeable personality traits. Yeah. They will say... That's disrespectful, or I want that, and I'm willing to confront you to take it or get it or whatever. That's just a um, like if you do a survey, you're going to end up with that, and so you end up with people in positions of power that have more of those uh, personality types, and it's just a matter of fact that males end up with those characteristics more often. You know, they just end up having those characters. If we allow for that, not saying that I wholeheartedly agree, because there's some nuances I think we're skipping over. But sure, and I'm really that, bad at crippling the what should be more nuanced. But so. if we allow for that, what then is the point? Um, just why? Because okay, here's here's my point: is that I worry that too much of the Bible was taken from a very patriarchal culture where. Hopefully, there was a God that was trying to speak through this culture, but they brought too much of their culture into what they were being impressed to write, maybe. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so they kind of, like, worded things and moved around to where women should be subservient. And I don't necessarily think that that's something that needs to be dictated from God uh, and I, not something Again, that should... The trajectory of Scripture actually seems to be... Contrary to that, it's actually liberating women from patriarchy. And I'd that, love to hear more about that because most of the people I talk, not most, a lot of the people, some people that I talk to that are very important to me tend towards saying, no, women have a defined place that they need to stay within and they need to take direction or whatever from the male. So again, this is where propositions and evidence, right? Okay. Because now you're alluding to somebody's proposition about the text. Yeah, and, but then that goes back to my, like, if, you, if this is open to interpretation, isn't that a rat's nest? You know, It like, can be a rat's nest unless it, unless it determines its own rules by which to go at it. But everyone determines, a, I mean, you, you know how people to do it. Yeah, and you know, know that people can make a pretty sound case that women should not be ordained. Sure, but Trent... On the matter of interpretation, this is life. Yeah. This is what 7.4 billion people do every day. And you're just okay with that? You're okay to engage with the discussion to determine what we should do? How other way are we to live? How? Yeah, no, I get that. So, so talk to me about how your theology points to embracing female leadership more so than... A more conservative position would because I I believe that both men and women should be able to lead regardless of what the subject is and that I think in this current state of spiritual need that uh, 
finds people looking more so for meaning rather than survival, uh, I think women might be more well-equipped generally, since women tend to relate more relationally, they're better at relationship naturally than men many of the times, that they might be better equipped to be now, spiritual leaders. Who knows? Who does know? That might be so. And yet, the observable phenomenon, mm -hmm. current, and health, healthy and growing Christian American churches yep. have two key features. One, conservative sexual ethic. Two, primarily male teaching. So are you saying that's how it should be or are you saying that's just what it is? I'm just saying that's what it is. I was just remarking that that's what it is. Okay, so where... What do you think, from what you take as central to capital T truth for you, mm -hmm. how do you extrapolate into uh, what, what, what does Christ's story say about female leadership in the church? I think he empowers them. And over and over he empowers them. To, to, to pin you on something do you do you believe that women should be ordained within the adventist system or just in your take on it or so then we'd have to have the question because i'm dead serious we'd have to have the question on what do you think ordination is it seems like that's kind of something we just made up yeah except that you know yeah some people hold that that's a word we made up but just because we made it up doesn't make it any less true did god use it did jesus do do it right um so when we ordain women, you know, that's like, should we for plackle women? You'd ask me, what's for plackle? Right? Sure. So that's the question. What do we mean by ordain? Should women have leadership? Should they be able to lead in the same way that men do? Well, they should have equal opportunity to lead, right? Doesn't mean that they're going to lead in the same way. Why? Because they're different sexes. Like, well, sure, they'll lead in different ways. Yeah, but so that... Is there any position that be, should be withheld from a woman just because she's a woman? Yeah, being a father. Okay. <laughs> that And that's about it for you? Yeah, that I can think of that and a whole host of other things that by definition they can't do. That just require male genetics is basically all you're... Yeah, like... And parts. I don't. I don't see a woman playing in the. I don't see a woman playing linebacker in the NFL anytime soon. Right. This is just. This, yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. Right. Um, okay. Uh. Okay. <laughs> so I think they should have equal opportunity of leadership. And. And you, you believe that women make just uh, are capable and, according to your theology, are just as capable of being a pastor? And you, My theology informs me that women are just as capable as men when it comes to leading people, right? You're being very coy. No, I'm not being coy is that you're not getting the direct answer you want precisely because I don't participate in the assumptions that your question has. Okay. Right? What are the assumptions? The assumptions are like, can women do exactly what men do? 
no one can do exactly what the person to their left can do. Exactly. The same the way. Exactly. So then can women lead? Of course they can lead. Can mm -hmm. they lead in the same way men do? No, because they're women. Just like women won't lead, men won't lead in the same way women lead. Okay. So should women have equal opportunity to lead? Yes. Should we do our best to empower them to lead? Yes. But then what you'd like to hear is something like, should a woman be able to lead a megachurch? I mean... Should there even be a megachurch, in my opinion? They seem a little sure, but unaffected. Can she lead? We'll put her in leadership and see how it goes. Right? And at present, it seems as though growing healthy churches in America have these two key features. Conservative sexual values and male leadership. Male teaching. Consistent teaching. male teaching. That is a Not male leadership. Subject. I didn't say leadership. I said, I continually said teaching. Teaching. The teachers continually, more often than not, are males, not women. Hmm. You can play the tape back. I said teaching every time. All right. All right. That's, uh, that is, um, okay. Now, um, notice I didn't say women can't teach. Of course they can. They can. And I actually believe I can be taught by a woman, right? Which is the very argument oh, that I've been others would make. That they're like, oh, things. a woman can't sit in a position of authority in teaching over a man. Yes, she can. Yes, she can. She absolutely can. I have professors that sit in that authority. I have spiritual leaders that sit in that authority. Like they, so I don't discount that at all. Hmm. Uh, last one that I think would be interesting to talk about. Far left, far right, and Trump. Mm -hmm. I remember you saying something after Trump was elected that it it was a shock to you with a lot of the people that you were close to that they were like, yeah, pro-Trump. Yeah, particularly like because was, they claim to be Christians. And not that they shouldn't be Republican, but that they would... that they would completely ignore the immorality of a man for the sake of their political ideology. And they made continual excuses for his apparent moral immorality. Like, Trump is immoral. Let's at least say that. We have enough oh, evidence in his life yeah. that he is immoral. Okay, let me play the devil's advocate, mm -hmm. but to proceed this with that comment, mm -hmm. just so you know I'm not taking it the wrong way. But do you, do you, an elect, do, do you elect a leader based on how they've performed morally because I mean David no 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 you know. what I'm saying is that I was disappointed with Christians yeah seemingly overlooking his immorality and making very much light of it because they preferred him as candidate right that you prefer his policies more power to you that you prefer them over somebody like Mrs. Clinton more power to you, right? Right. That you find Mrs. Clinton to be immoral. Very fair. Mm -hmm. I agree. But that you then compare and contrast their morality and make light of his precisely because he fits your political ideology seems to be inconsistent with the confession you make as a Christian. Right. That's my highlight. Not so, that you shouldn't vote red. So what did that look like? That, it, was, that was offensive to you? Well, it looked like completely ignoring the sort of um, 
atmosphere that he was encouraging at his political rallies, mm -hmm. the sort of um, the seemingly disregard for our American civility that is attempted to be grounded in that all men are created equal, the mockery of the disabled, the belittling of minorities, the genuine disregard and disrespect for females and their body parts. And just grabbing them without asking. Right? So, and then how quick we were to make light of all of those things or how to hold sweep them, them under the rug. Sweep them under the rug precisely because he agreed with our political position, right? Like, there are those Christians that were like, yeah, but, yeah, but. It was the yeah, but that I took a, a lot of right. offense to and how quick they were willing to toss away their Christian convictions for the yeah, but of a candidate that they preferred. So what, what could have those pe same people that let you down, what they didn't, could they... They didn't let me down. They opened up my eyes. <laughs> right, but, I mean, it... I was the way disappointed. You said it, I it let was myself disappointed down, and you were you were hurt somehow. Yeah, I let myself down. Yeah, because here I am as a black man on the campus of Andrews in Barron Springs, which you know is like one of the most diverse, diverse campuses in the country. Campuses. And then these folks that are my colleagues and professors and you know, brothers, quote unquote brothers and sisters, are quick to completely marginalize um the experience of people of color during that time for the sake of their political candidate mm -hmm. how how could they have how would they have dealt with it and not let you down seen as they might be a conservative and couldn't could not have brought themselves to vote for hillary first you they see could, what I, yeah you know absolutely what I'm yeah, that's 100% first they could have not let me down by me having maturity and not put myself in a position to be let down right that's so my bad understanding the shortcomings of yeah if you may that's my okay. bad right i put my that, that's my bad i shouldn't have i shouldn't position another person to actually let me down because they shouldn't have that responsibility yeah and i was talking to you earlier about how i've been let down and and what i've learned from that uh, you can, yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, a good point. And then, but the second thing is that just an acknowledgement, just an acknowledgement that, yeah, he's immoral, but between the two choices, I just prefer his policies. That would have been really fair. And I can't, and I actually have friends that voted for Trump that said that, and I respect it. Yeah. We're friends, right? Like, well, Jonathan, listen, I can't vote for Hillary because of X, Y, Z, and I want to make my vote count. And yeah, he's an immoral man. Yeah, he's done X, Y, Z. But what he's saying, I'd much rather that than this. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. I'm it's like a, a logical, uh, logical and rational approach to like I'm electing someone who's going to push policies. I know that there's, there's huge moral shortcomings with this person. Yeah. Is that? But it seems like just, just to me such a like I couldn't have I couldn't do Hillary. Sure. I couldn't do Trump. I had to throw my I, I the late the least evil for me was going Gary Johnson or whoever yeah. it was. Yeah, and I and felt like that was saying my piece yeah. of like, no, I'm not going to go with this. Yeah, to me, it was either I had the drunk clown driving the car down the mountain road yeah. or a snake driving the car down the mountain road. And yeah. I had to choose between the two. Yeah. And I was like, I'll just not get in the car and I'll yeah. take Gary. There is no, I bear no ill will to those who 
voted their conscience and voted for Trump. What I did have was a point of... It was, it was a personal interaction of people marginalizing the, the, the amount of deep pain over like centuries that he was in, in many ways with his behavior modeling that that's not an issue. Listen, and Trump, then, Trump is a misogynist on yep. record. Yep. <laughs> Trump is an adulterer on record. Yep. Right? Trump is a terrible businessman on record. Right? Trump seems to be a really poor landlord on record. Trump is a racist on record. Do you remember the Central Park Five? Yep. Go look that up. Like, all of these things are true in the life lived of the man. That he has policies that people agree with, fair. And if you want to put those policies in office and you vote for the man, fair. It is your right to do so as an American. If you feel that these policies are the best way to move America forward, fair. Mm -hmm. But don't confess Christ and then behave as though these aren't immoral. Let at least call, Can we at least name these for what they are? Right. You can put them in office. That's not the deal. But don't then, then because of your desire to have him in office, minimize all of these minimize. as though they're not a, as they're, oh, well, you know, everybody. Like, and right. then you do it at the expense of the very people that he seemingly has all this disregard for. Right. That just blew my mind. How, I mean, did, did, that, did that in any way affect your spiritual journey at all? Oh, uh, uh, I think it did, man. It just destabilized me for a while that I was like, this is why political identities for me are so problematic, mm. right? Like, so, I, you know, for a while there, I championed the, uh, the left, right? And then I remember I flirted with the right for a little bit, right? I remember I used to be, a, you know, a, an O'Reilly fan for quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a hidden secret. Not many know. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, then it was during the last election cycle that I was really, really just, wait, hold on. Hold on. This is one big con for the aim of retaining power more often than not, right? I mean, if you actually had civil humans in the corporate world, like just regular day-to-day corporal behave like our politicians do, they'd be fired. Right, but it's theatrics. Yeah, it was, it's, yeah. it's theatrics yeah. towards tribalism yeah. to organize your side. On both and sides, different. and then we buy in. And I know there's a lot of good people that want to do a lot of good for America, and they're both on the left and on the right. But I'm just drawing attention to the support of Trump by the Christians that I knew at the expense of the people that he disregarded seem to be inconsistent with the very confession these Christians were making. Hmm. And I was disappointed that they didn't see that. Right. It's or a, that they just marginalized it. Yeah, I mean, because politics are your, your morals. And as we said earlier in this conversation, where you get your morals from is where you get your meaning from and all that. And 
your vote is kind of the materialization of all of that into something. And it's, so it's very hard to yeah. separate those out. But again, I don't, I don't vilify somebody for having voted yeah. for him. I, yeah. I generally don't. Precisely if you voted for him in good conscience for the good of the country. I may not agree with the man. I may not agree with his policies. But if you can look me in the face and say, I voted my conscience and I voted for the good of the country, then that's what you did. But don't then confess Christ and downplay immorality. Like, let's just at least call it for what it is. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's, 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 that's my one small takeaway. Still going. All right. Well. You're going to have to edit this down, man. Like in sections. People love podcasts that go on and on because you can drive and listen to them. I might break it into two or whatever, but. Who wants to listen to us talk for two hours? I, I always think that, but then I listen to other people do it. And I'm like, maybe they're just more interesting people than us. But. <laughs> Probably. <yeah. laughs> I can't believe we're that interesting. Yeah, but that it, it, it's a very interesting perspective for me uh, to hear from someone who's, who's more at a position of, of being offended by those political turnings. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, I can't and, live my life in offense. <laughs> well, I know, but to be able to experience the hurt and then actually process it and be able to verbalize, uh, you know, why that did that and why I was able to, uh, you know, to a, to a degree disassociate that and try and understand humans and not take too much offense, yeah, right? No, okay. That, that's a, that it's a level of maturity that I appreciate and like to learn from. I believe in the most, more often than not, Americans are really good people that love their country and want to see the best for it, right? And I got to, in every way in my life, honor that, even though I may not agree with the way they're approaching. I think that most Americans, when we sit down and have a firm discuss discussion about like issues and the way American life should go, we're, on, we're way closer than uh, the media would present. But it's not in the media's interest and or the the interest of the teams, even. yeah, and, yeah. The, and the interest of the elite on both sides for that truth to actually come to light, right? So, so how do we how do we pull for more a, a more central single team together unification? You know, That's, well, we, it's just it seems like our nation is getting worse and worse with the tribalism. We can we can buy our own TV channel and try, but nobody watches level-headed democracy <laughs> yeah i think people listen to level-headed podcasts though so. yeah yeah but not enough people actually listen to podcasts yeah we're getting there yeah i think there's like 10 15 people here so all right well us <laughs> us 10 to 15 will start the revolution well thank you for taking two hours to to talk to me and uh bicker you know you're welcome so. all right love you man i love you too big guy <laughs> i love you t player